Because since we're people who are instinctively ready to respond against acts of injustice, anytime there's one little act of injustice, we can blow it up and we'll find people who come and make some mass demonstration around it. They will come to rally at issues. And this is what mobilization does. It mobilizes people around issues. Those of us who are revolutionary are not concerned with issues. We're concerned with the system. We must know clearly the difference between mobilization and organization. Welcome to The Power Struggle, Episode 4, where we will be discussing questions around power, who has it, who doesn't, and how we can collectively organize to get it. My name is Evan Papp, and I'm joined with Jerry Lightfoot. Our last, pug- our last Power Struggle podcast was October 6, 2020, with special guest Jasmine Clemens. And uh, Jerry, here we are, December 31st, 2020. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? It's been a year. It's been a year. But it has. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we're uh, we're still above ground, ready to fight for you know in this new year coming. Yeah, that's all that matters, you know. So I'm I'm with you. I'm just happy that we made it out of 2020. A lot of people can't. uh, They don't. They can't say that. And you know, it's it's sad, but but we're here, so we got to keep doing the work. We got to keep getting up. Even if we don't feel like it, we got to keep making it happen for all the people who had their dreams and lives cut short. Yeah, and and have them also in our thoughts, in our heart. And, uh, you know, the struggle lives on uh, in solidarity with all the, the fallen people and all the people behind us and, the, and for the people coming up, you know, for, for the next generations. So, so looking at the 2020 year, and uh, this is little... Uh, look back and uh what are some of the things that stand out most for you um with 2020 and and then we're going to go into some other topics the nashville bomber this runoff in georgia the a little discussion about this electoral college stimulus package this presidential pardon nonsense and um something i would like to also add is uh you know looking at uh, the look ahead for 2021, what, what we're tracking. So I guess to, to start off on the 2020 recap, what are, what are some of the top stories, man? Here, I'm passing the mic to you. Man. So top stories, 2020, of course, we, we have to talk about COVID-19. I even talk about it because that's like beating the dead horse. We all know we've all seen its effects I just never thought that I would live in the house for a year, like legit, pretty much be in the house for a year. You know, um, it affected everything from shutting down the country to to jobs, to the way we work. And you can think about so many, so many corporations were against work from home because they felt like people really wouldn't be working. But now they see due to COVID-19, it seems like productivity is up. People are more happier. The morale is better. And I, I think COVID-19 was a gift and a curse. And I tell people that all the time when I'm talking to them, yeah, it halted our, our normal way of life, but it gave us the time out that many of us needed, you know, that people just refused to take. So a lot of times people would take two, three days off of work and they're rushing back in like, oh no, I got to get back. They can't do this work without me. I can't really have a true vacation. And everybody is just, just moving, moving, moving. Even with your families, people are moving, moving, moving. Uh, husbands, wives, spouses, moms, dads, brothers, sisters, everyone is just like crisscrossing. And this, you know, gave us all like, you know, chill, pause, take a time out. 
and gave us that time that we needed with family. Like people really reconnected with their family for that whole, this whole year, they've spent so much time with them. They've, they've fallen back in love or they realize, hey, maybe you're someone I don't need to be with. But whatever it was, they were able to get that realization and find that peace. And they only did that because of all the time that we have been spending, you know, together with one another. So it, so we got to talk, yeah, C-19. Um, of course, everything that happened with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, that was like a huge catalyst uh, for a lot of things that happened this year, especially when you talk about the struggle, you talk about the movement, you talk about, um, you know, equality or inequality for that matter. We, we have to talk about them. And of the 2020 election, you know, after that, it seemed like we rolled right into everyone, you know, hitting the pavement, how this, how this election will look with COVID, the ballots, whether people were going to try to sway the election, whether people were going to try to rig it, uh, other countries already given their input. So it was a lot. And on a, a personal level too, um, you want to just share a little bit about like your highlights? Cause I know you've been grinding on a lot of different levels too. Yeah, man. So definitely been grinding on a lot of levels. I'm just really thankful for uh, my family, for my health, for the opportunity I finished. Of course, we finished NLC together um, six months ago in, in June, you know, finished the capstone and graduated, even though it probably wasn't how we envisioned it when we first started uh, due to COVID, but we were able to see that through. And from there, just starting to get, you know, grassroots, getting a part of the community. I'm still relatively new to the DMV area. So trying to contribute on the way that I contributed when I lived in uh, cities like Atlanta and New York and everything. And even uh, Tallahassee, Florida, I went to college at Florida a and <laughs> So um, th this year it's, it's been all about business that uh, making sure my family's good, uh, getting, getting the second bachelor's. Yeah. More education. Yeah. More continuous education. learning, lifelong continuous learning, learning, man. Continuous learning, lifelong learning. I feel like, um, you know, when it comes to knowledge, that's something I just crave. Like I, I want to get as much of it. I read, like I read, I read, I read, I read. And I say this, I'm not talking about, you know, your romance novels or your sci-fi or your Stephen King. I mean, like real, real, real literature, things that will help you, things that will better you, things that tell you what's really going on in the world, things that they don't want you to know because they figure you'll never pick up the book and actually take the time and thumb through it. So I'm just a student of life. I feel the more that I acquire knowledge-wise, the more that I have wisdom-wise to give back to my sons. And it's all about equipping them to get out there and be the best they can be in the world. And they have to know. So I just try to try to learn all I can. And from there, it's the fire. Like we talked about before, even doing this podcast, it's no point in, in having the knowledge and not wanting to share it with people. And just seeing so much that's going on in the world and so many people are becoming more conscious and they're realizing exactly what's happening, what's going on in the world. We have to bring this to them. Like our thoughts matter, our thoughts count, everything that we're trying to do, everything that we're trying to work on, you know, it it, it, it deserves to make it out. It, it shouldn't just live up here. Like it needs to come out to the world so it can, it can uh, possibly better other people's lives as well. Yeah, man. And I have taken away a lot of similar things in 2020 um gratitude gratitude even though um you know i've 
I've always uh, been very lucky in a lot of ways, just in the place of birth, having a, a loving family, living in this country and having resources that allow me to pursue my dreams and passions, um, despite all the roadblocks everywhere that most people face. And that also brings great solidarity because if you really empathize with the suffering going on and, and there's increased scarcity and increased desperation. And um, I've even done some projects with some nurses who have been in the ER in New York City and elsewhere. Um, just the, the madness and the sadness and the tragedy of this year with this pandemic. Um, it, in some ways, it builds a bridge back to 1919, right? A hundred years ago where people were at. And um, this will live a, with us forever. And it, it will be a part of our our history, our consciousness. And I, I think it's really important to understand that the mental health um, piece in the, your mental health is, is real. Um, most people, the way we process it, process the the trauma is to suppress it to act like it doesn't there to to cover it up with drugs and alcohol um to try to work your way so you're not thinking about it but it, it's really important that self-care and you really need to take some time for yourself all of us individually to take time to make sure that we're centered going into 2021 and then also you know check in with loved ones check in with those who are not you know who may be alone there's suicides are up overdoses are up, people are suffering, and it's not going to get any easier anytime soon. So that's a little bit on the, the general personal. And then, you know, I've been focusing a lot on labor solidarity with the Labor Radio Podcast Network. And I also did this other thing uh, called Belief Street, which uh, I don't know if you ever want to get into religion, but come on that little channel as well to talk a little bit about um, how you see religion, whether you're an atheist or an you know, agnostic or believer or whatever. I, I, I just want to have, uh, I want to open that to bring that into the struggle to talk about power and policy and politics and all these other things, but to kind of turn it because this is the power struggle podcast. Yeah. Some of the things that I'm looking at winners and losers of 2020. And I think the biggest winner of 2020 is president Xi Jinping. China is winning their ascendant. United States, my entire life, has been um, a imperial hegemonic power. We're in retreat in this country, and China is ascendant. And I know a lot of people are still living in the war on terror mode and hating on a lot of things that the U.S. has done in the past, but we are in retreat. And what will that mean, you know, in the coming decade? And if we're lucky enough to live for coming decades, what will that mean to United States and the people here. And if we really want to think about the worst case scenario, then we need to change our policies. And we'll talk a little bit more about that um, tonight and uh, in the future podcast. I think a, another clear winner is the U.S. billionaires. Um, I think another 70 or plus were made this year and uh, over 600 billionaires collectively got like a trillion dollars uh, richer this uh, this year. Um, Big winners, U.S. billionaires. And I think, you know, the, the Americans are, are um, weaker from, from this year, obviously. But that being said, I don't want to dwell on that. 
I think the, that Americans have been trotted along um, to a point where we're fighting against each other and the billionaires are walking away with the walking away with all the, the treasure and uh, they're fine with it going to China and from Wall Street and elsewhere. They're, they're fine with uh, locking into cartels um, with authoritarian regimes. Um, but I think 2021, you know, ultimately there is a day of reckoning. There is a day of reckoning in the sense that the you legit, uh, the you demonic legitimacy of the system of politics means that when the political system no longer delivers goods to the people, it doesn't become legitimate anymore. And what we're seeing right now is a complete understanding of the populace that this current system does not give a shit about most anyone. And it's all about looting and getting your own. And that's, you know, we can talk a little bit more about that, but that's what fascism is deployed as a way to keep the people down in the pursuit of um, oligarchs. You know, some people call them capitalists, but I, I'd rather use oligarchs. And they deploy these fascist goon squads because, you know, their system, they've, they've looted and pillaged and the people are starting to come up with pit, pitchforks where they, they bring in these guys. So, um, yeah, that's that's all I got. Uh, if you want to introduce the little man, bring him in, man. Yeah, <laughs> he kind of broke in. Yeah, let him in, man. Let him in. <laughs> come here, Lorden. Come here. <laughs> Oh man. Okay. Look so, at that little man. This is my youngest, Lorden. He's two. Say hey. Kind of. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't need to see you. Yeah, don't do that. But yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely just bust it in. So wave. Yeah. Wait, say hi. <laughs> say bye. Bye. <laughs> go ahead and go with your brothers. <laughs> Come on, Lorden. Oh man. They want they want their dad. So yeah, we, we yeah. gotta keep moving on this. <laughs> so let's let's uh move to the this topic about this Nashville bomber. Okay. Um Christmas Day bomber. You know, when I first heard about it, I was like, this is kind of strange. Gunshots and then countdown and then bombing. Mm -hmm. And then I look at the bombing aftermath and entire city block is just and I'm like, damn, what kind of bomb was that? And then, um, you know, they, they found this guy. Uh, I forget his name, but he had a some woman, 29-year-old in California that he, like, titled a home to. And uh, I guess there's a couple people who said that this guy was building, that he said that he was going to become famous. There's a leaked uh, neighbor who said that. I haven't actually seen the actual interview of the neighbor saying it. I don't know if that's all... Um, but I do think the idea of uh, white fascist terrorism is something on the rise. So that's my little take from it. Um, I'm throwing it to you again, man. Yeah, uh, honestly, I was <laughs> I was shocked when I when I heard about it because I don't know. It, it just ever since maybe uh, the Oklahoma bombing um, back in the with Timothy McVeigh, like in the '90s. We really haven't had many homegrown besides going out and shooting people up where they're just bombing things like that. So it was not foreign. So I was able to 
I was able to under, I was able to, to get it, but to process it, but still my mind wasn't really wrapped around the fact that it, this just happened. Like this just happened in 2020 when people are already in the house and no one's really outside anyway. So, so what was the point, you know, and, and to me, I think that it was one of those things to where, like you said, he was trying to become famous and, and whether, whether he had it all together up top or, you know, for whatever reason, I feel that he really wasn't trying to take lives like that. Because if you're trying to, if you're trying to get maximum impact and you, you roll up to a place that you know is going to be a lot of people during a, a big time, big time event, like maybe a sporting event or a reason for people to gather in public and you roll there, you put your, put your vehicle there yeah. and you detonate. Like he went through this whole song and dance of he, he broadcasted a warning. So his warning is giving a countdown. It's telling people to evacuate the area. And that doesn't sound like somebody who's, who's trying to take a bunch of lives. So for whatever reason, maybe he was just hell bent on taking his own life and, and wanted to go out in a blaze of glory um, and, and not do it the traditional way. He wanted to make headlines and he kind of wanted to live forever or live in infamy. I believe that's how, that's what he chose to do. So, but I, I do believe uh, domestic terrorists, uh, for whatever reason, people never want to call it that. They want to say, oh, this person, he was such, he was so good in third grade. You know, he got straight seeds, but he was a heart pure of gold and he used to help old ladies cross the street and, and all this other nonsense. Nobody ever wants to call it for what it is. They seem like only uh, uh, black and brown people from the Middle East can be terrorists when it comes over, when they come over here. And that's something that the FBI, that a lot of the federal bureaus, law enforcement wise, have been tracking since like around 2009, 2010 is the rise of the domestic terrorists, the rise of people leaving these white supremacist groups and going into various forms of law enforcement, going into uh, law schools so they can be the DAs, so they can end up being the judges, you know, so they can just run that whole side of the system, uh, you know, lock and key. So it's a uh, very unfortunate, uh, I don't remember if anybody really lost their lives besides him. I know some people were hurt, um, but you know, hopefully prayers and, and healing and blessings go out to everyone that was affected. Yeah. The, uh, I still haven't seen a motive really. Um, I haven't, you know, just like the Las Vegas shooter, no motive, right? right. Uh, it's very bizarre. You know, like if you're a detective, there's three things you always have to think about means, motive and opportunity, right? So apparently you had the means, you had the opportunity, but you know, when you, motive. when you lack that motive, it's always a question of like, you know, it's very hard to, to, to wrap your head around. I, I mean, I've seen things that his father used to work for Bell South or whatever, like before it became AT&T and he was let go. I, I've also seen, heard things about, um, he was a part of this uh, group of people around the world who think 5G is a way of mind control, um, which, you know, it, it was right up near an AT&T building and it did knock out the AT&T um, network. Uh, but I'm just not, it's hard for me to comprehend it uh, without um, a suicide note, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I mean, if yeah, anyway, so that's, I, I'm, I'm just perplexed and I'm still... 
you know, if I'm a juror, I need a little more evidence on uh, what it is, but that may, puts me in the conspiracy theory camp. So yeah. <laughs> there, there's bigger fights to fight than that one. So and, unless we start seeing these all around the country and just one guy dies in his RV and they're just lone wolves, you know, and then I, uh, I'm going to, my spider sense is going to go off a little more. Mm -hmm. So, and all these people against 5G, um, just to give you a heads up, China right now is positioned to take over 5G in the world. And that's going to have implications on everything because 5G is not just um, a faster phone component. It's literally you create, I, I heard this really great analogy about it's almost the system that is going to be in the ether. So you could literally just um, say, hey, Uber, pick me up. And 5G will be able to pick up your voice and an Uber will come and understand your facial recognition and pick you up at the curb. And I know that could be terrifying on data protection and privacy, but this is where it's all going and China's way ahead of it. So when you have a bunch of fringe people trying to prevent 5G, uh, that's a national security issue because we need 5G in this country. And if the private sector can't do it, um, let the military uh, build it for us and just create a public uh, communications uh, zone but that's my little policy plug for that yeah i mean just real quick on that before we move on like the whole 5g like you're talking about that is that what it would allow you to do in the long run it's pretty much more so like the the highway and the vehicle which has actually been in play for a while is like the iot so if you're familiar with the iot but what's the iot if you know the iot is the internet of things mm -hmm. so when you get a chance just like look up iot real quick and it talks about all the different technology and things that you wouldn't even think about that are starting to come together like if you look in your home how things would be controlled like your thermostat your your refrigerator you can just say hey what's in my refrigerator and it can tell you um your, like I said, your thermostat, your your alarm system, your lighting, everything that 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 we pretty much use on a day-to-day -day basis, they're finding a way to link that, link each and everything. So we'll be able to pretty much do it, like you said, with our voice or 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 with our facial recognition. So 5G is almost like the catalyst. It's it's like the the X, the off-ramp before we were on the, the expressway, we kind of getting there. Uh, 5G is the off-ramp that's going to take us to, to link in all of those things. And, and it, it could be a good thing, but more so we usually know more technology is a bad thing because people never do what they're supposed to do with it. It's got to be highly regulated. And the, right. we got to get to the point where our data is protected. You know, um, that's that's got to we got to move that uh, needle in the coming coming days, weeks, years. Um, but moving ahead to this uh runoff election in your uh former state georgia uh what are you hearing man uh i heard there's higher early turnout are, are you connected with folks down there and again are they still energized yeah it, it looks like everyone's still energized from what i've seen from uh, my friends and family that still live in in georgia uh, specifically in the atlanta area metro atlanta and the surrounding counties they are still highly motivated, highly energized. Everyone got out and voted. Everyone's pretty much early voting. So I've, you know, all up and down my timeline. It's like the I voted sticker, the I voted sticker. Good. So I see that in uh, right after, once it was announced that it was gonna be a runoff, like I went online and I logged in and I, I had them send me another absentee ballot out because that's how I voted, you know, and I'm still registered in Georgia. 
for the time being. So that's how I voted in this past election with the mail-in ballot. And that's how I wanted to vote for the runoff. The crazy thing about it is I actually sent my uh, ballot back about two weeks ago. It'll be two weeks. I think it was two weeks today two weeks but it's still showing that it's not received and when i try to track it it's still showing as if it's in route to me so i called the uh, the secretary of state you know the number that they have for it and i let them know like hey this is the issue that i'm having with my ballot i sent it two weeks ago it needs to say received it's probably not counted yet because i know they didn't count my ballot even though mine said accepted last time it didn't say counted until after the day after they had the actual election. So they had all the people that came in person and then they start, I guess that's Georgia law, then they start counting the mail-in ballots. And that's when you saw that flip from Trump to Biden uh, during that time period when they start counting in all of the ballots that had been mailed in. So- a lot, Yeah, man. And a lot of these Republican controlled state houses wanted the counting to happen after election instead of pre-counting, you mm. know, um, and then they start complaining when all these votes come in. And it, it's it's crazy with, you know, this this let's be honest, the governor, Kemp, he stole the election from Stacey Abrams. Yeah. They like vast swaths of Georgian voters were completely thrown off the ballot with right. cross check major they've they've shut down voting rolls they've even reduced there was three hour waits um in, in for the presidential election in november they've even limited the number of polling places where you can go cast a ballot you know i'm so sick and tired of these people talking about voter fraud it's called vote fraud and these people shut down the post office you may be a victim of this right now you know like that and i'm super pro post office and then they they do this junk with the joy who should go to prison for this for messing with the united states postal service there's federal right. laws against that um and that i've i've seen some things from greg palace that there's 200,000 votes that are currently suppressed from this la- like the the presidential election mm-hmm. so even osoff and warnick they would have got in through this and and who are they going after they're they're going after uh, kelly loffler her husband's uh Wall Street, you know, hyena hedge fund manager, you know, $800 million. This is a Vandy project. There's tons of corruption where she's actually overseeing things in the Senate that she sits on the boards with. I mean, this, this, this is just, I mean, in your face corruption. And then of course, David Perdue. Insider trading. Yeah, insider trading. Like, come on, man. You and I do this outside of the Senate. We got cuffs on, man. I mean, think about it. And her own basketball team didn't even want to play for her. So she owns the Atlanta Dream. Atlanta Dream, they're taking team photos with, uh, supporting the other people running for Senate. Or they're saying, like, you know, they didn't want to play when they had the certain issues during the summer with, uh, you know, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And they're trying to protest and they're trying to talk about it. And she's trying to suppress their voices. But of course, and this is the same person that, you know, didn't think the American people, she made all that money for herself, but she didn't want to go to bat for, I would say Georgians, because that's who, you know, those are her constituents, getting that extra money needed. So think about from the time that the first stimulus checks came out and what was that, maybe May? So it's been six, seven months. And then you think all that people are worth is $600. So $100 for every month that we didn't take care of you. And that's 2019 salaries. Man. So if, if you lost your job in 2020 after having a higher salary in 2000, you didn't get shit and you're not getting shit on this one. Either. 
Um, yeah. And then I heard there's a whisper campaign um, or, you know, dog whistle shouting uh, with, uh, you know, Warnock. He was a youth pastor in New York City and they invited a, uh, I don't know, a Cuban uh, socialist or something. And they, you know, oh, my God, he's a socialist and all that. It's absolutely insane. And then they're doing another whisper campaign about Osaf being a Jew. And uh, they don't the Republicans don't offer anything. They don't offer any actual material benefits of you voting for them. It, they, this party needs to go like I'm, I'm sick and tired of people being like, we need to compromise with the Republicans. And, you know, there's some good ones that just, you know, once Trump's gone. No, this the, the Republican Party. I supported them when they were with Lincoln uh, against the Democrats then. Yeah. But, but now they've, 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 they've like, party. How, how can you be in office and you're going to destroy the country where you're literally there to say the government doesn't work, vote for me and I'll prove it to you. Mm-hmm. We, we cannot survive in this country with people like, you know, very ascendant China, uh, you know, with this Republican party, they got to go. And then we can talk about splitting the Dems, but everyone of good faith, needs to help destroy the Republican Party. It'll become a regional party. And I believe it's happening. I believe there is a party realignment that's going on. It's very hard to see when it's going on. The last one was 1968. I believe it's happening after 50 years. And we may not see it for another 10 years. Trump, in this weird sort of way, is like Samson pulling down the columns on the GOP and the Philistines. And uh, I, I do hope that to be the case, though Trump is still a major threat. Well, I mean, honestly, it's, to me, like you said, you know, do away with the Republican Party. I feel like we should do away with parties, period. You know, I'm with George Washington. He he, he saw it before anyone did, like having the two-party system. It, it's going to get to a point where people are just for party instead of for the constituents and for the people that they're supposed to be representing. And that's what we see. That's what we see day in and day out. It's I won't work with you because you sit across the aisle. So no matter that what you have is a good idea for the country, I'm gonna just shoot it down because you know, you know, you're you're in blue and I'm rocking red. <laughs> I mean it's almost like you know street war like you got the blue you got the crips and the blue and the red of bloods. So it's like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bang with you because you're rocking a different color. And that's all it it turned into one big political gang and everyone is trying to out for themselves and doing everything that they can to make sure that they're okay to set themselves up for a better future but they're not they're not looking out for the people that they swore to do so when they took office i mean i i agree with that to a point but and i i think the democrats they're next on my chopping block but i think there is a quantifiable difference between the gop and the i mean and and I understand what you're saying about the party thing, but the, I mean, they're different. They're, they are at different fucking yeah. levels, so, you know, man. I agree with you on that. Yeah. But then, like I said, you just got to look at it from the, the stance of a lot of times people get where they are based strictly on party affiliation, yeah. not about what they're really trying to do, what they want to do, what they have done, what they can do. It's like, look, I'm with these people. I've aligned myself with them. So I automatically get like their base, their values, their everything and vote for me. And I I think that should be that should be mixed out. You know, it shouldn't matter if you're, you know, Republican or Democrat or or independent or a greener or whatever you are. Just run as who you are and tell us why. What is your platform? What do you plan on doing? What have you done? What are you looking forward to do? And then from there, we'll pick the best person that we see fit for the job. 
And I think a lot of people don't get a fair shake at it because they don't have a major party backing them. So you could have some of the best people and they could be an independent party, they could be whatever they are, and they'll never get to that stage to where they can truly make a difference and get their voice heard because they're not rocking a major party, you know? Yeah, true. Well, if you ever run unaffiliated or even affiliated, I'll support you. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, talking about this electoral college, uh-huh. uh, some some thoughts uh, that I've had about just in general, this systematic minority rule of a minority is controlling majority. And we, you know, grow up in this flowery language of democracy, the majority, you know, with Republican uh, rights uh, enshrined of the Bill of Rights that um, the majority can't, you know, uh, have a mob mentality on the minority. However, the majority helps direct the rule. Yet we have the Supreme Court, the Senate, the Electoral College, and voter suppression in general, which is allowing the minority GOP to become uh, hegemonic in the Supreme Court with one guy, Mitch McConnell, the Senate, like running so much, you know, and of course yeah. things going on. So what, what are some of your, I know you want to kind of talk a little bit about this, um, the electoral college. So, yeah, um, I'm just going to be real short and sweet on the electoral college, because honestly, I think it's outlived its purpose. Uh, it was definitely, it was instituted during a time where people lack the formal education and the knowledge of the world around them and the knowledge of politics to be able to effectively choose the the next person in leadership or the next person to run the country or their next congressman or next senator. So in that case, it's like, all right, well, we'll put together the electoral college so people can go vote. They feel like they're doing their thing, they're voting. And we'll come together as a collective because we're smart and we can, we have the, um, the know-how and we'll actually choose who needs to run the country. Times, times are, are, are done. Like everyone is educated to a degree, maybe not necessarily uh, college educated, but at least the majority of the country I'll say have graduated high school. So they've learned, they know how this process works. They're able to look at someone, listen to someone, break down what they're saying and say, okay, this person is for me. This person is not for me. This person has ideals like mine. This person's ideals are nothing like mine. This person looks like they have a plan for the country that I'm okay with. This person's plan for the country I'm not okay with. And I think with that, after everyone comes together and they vote, that popular vote should choose the next president. It shouldn't go back to a group of people based off of how many votes they got in this state in this percentage. So technically, even though they won the popular vote by 5 million, they're going to lose because they didn't have it where it mattered most and all the numbers add up to 270. I I mean, I don't like that. I just think we need to cut it all together. We're educated enough to make our own decisions about who should lead us, who should lead the country and go with the popular vote. That really ensures that every person's vote matters and and counts because right now it only counts when it counts it only counts if it's in your favor and the person you're voting for is winning in that state because they're going to get those electoral votes if not then it's just it's in the win the question though is how do we actually get there and we can talk that more in 2021 where you know i mean you need you need 60 senators for a lot of this, um, you know, until we throw the filibuster out, but obviously like 
Joe Manchin from West Virginia and Kristen Cinema from Arizona and, and some of these other folks have already come out saying they don't want to throw out the 60 vote senatorial filibuster that was created, you know, 100 years ago to help enshrine Jim Crow laws. And, um, you know, you need what, two thirds of the states to pass a constitutional amendment. A lot of these states are controlled uh, by right wingers. And, you know, I, obviously we need Puerto Rico to get state status. They just had this referendum, I believe, that said they wanted statehood. Give them two senators. Washington, D.C., with over 600,000 uh, voters is uh, 200,000 voters more than Wyoming, or at least uh, they should at least have two Senate um, you know, voters um, or two senators. But uh, yeah, I mean, how, how we get there. And then obviously, if I'm Joe Biden, I have the Department of Justice up in the ass of all of the secretary of states that are doing voter suppression. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, John Roberts, what he did with uh, the Supreme Court ruling on um, in, in 2012, uh, that actually said that, you know, you can have unlimited dark money. And that all and and also that the 1965 Voting Rights Act is no longer valid. So what that meant was that 1965 Voting Rights Act said, anytime um, a place in Mississippi wants to say we want a poll tax, they have to go to the Department of Justice saying we want to do this poll task tax, and the Department of Justice would be like, that's because you're trying to suppress a vote. It's not trying to enhance a vote. Right. Denied. So that 1965 Voting Rights Act needs to be passed again. So Citizens United was, um, you know, an inflection point with this this guy, John Roberts, Supreme Court. But I know you didn't want to talk much about this, but I'm beating a dead horse. So new stimulus package. What are you thinking, man? Uh, trash. <laughs> trash, man. Like trash, trash, trash. Uh, I think it's it's a slap in the face to the American people, you know, to, to have endured so much over the year, whether you're looking at major corporations that are, that are no longer here, that's been staples of American way of life for like the past 80, hundred years, and they're closing down shop. And all of these other companies are closing down shop and people losing their jobs left and right. People are losing the ability to pay for things left and right. I mean, I, I honestly think it's a slap in the face and I'll tell you why. You look at look at other countries. Let's look at Australia, for instance. Australia suspended mortgage and rent payments for an entire year. Like, imagine how much that would help people out if they knew they wouldn't have to pay their mortgage or rent for an entire year. And not just that, because they do have forbearance. And then you know, but eventually, once you come off of that, you have to pay that money back, or you have to decide whether or not you're going to sell your property, sell your home, or refinance. And then you could be looked at negatively because you just spent this whole year and you know you didn't have the funds. So if you didn't have the funds then, we'll make sure you know what makes it so that you have the funds now. So I think they should have just suspended everything. Uh, look at Canada. Canada was giving all their citizens two grand a month. I know that we have more citizens in Canada, but also I know that our economy, you know, we generate more money than Canada on a yearly annual basis. So that's something that we could have done, maybe not 2000 a month to every citizen, but we could have worked it out. There's money there because like I said, being in the military and seeing pretty much the blank check that's been wrote for Department of Defense for like the last almost 20 years since 9-11, the money is there. The money's there, the money's there. 
They claimed the money wasn't there with the first stimulus package, but they pulled 23 trillion out there behind and, and did it. And I think that people need people need money. Like, what are you gonna do with $600? Like, honestly, that's that, that might be two bills. That might be one car note, you know what I mean? So if we can turn around and give all this foreign aid in a stimulus package that's supposed to be for your country, you have money for foreign aid, like just littered, littered in there, you know, 100 and some million for this country, 50 million for this country, uh, another 1 billion for the Smithsonian, which is closed. Like, so when Trump was reading that, I was like, yo, I'm like, I'm with you on that. That's true. Smithsonian doesn't need $1 billion right now because they're not doing any business and all the museums are closed. The Kennedy Center doesn't need 40 million right now because they're not doing anything they're not hosting any events there because they're closed. So why not take all that extra money and divvy it up and send it to people who really need it, which is the American citizens. So I don't understand how in a bill or a package that's supposed to be for the American people has all of this outside money, like money going to this country, money going to that country, money going to this government, money going to this military. Why? I, I think they they wrapped it up in 5,500 pages that they knew that they knew nobody was gonna read. And they just, that's a way for them to just go ahead and slide stuff, you know, pass it right under the rug and pull the wool over your eyes and we'll never know what's coming until someone sit there and literally goes down line by line by line, showing you where all the money's going. To. I think people should have gotten at least 2,000, if not more, you know, and they can't talk about the, the national debt, you know, it's already almost at what 27 trillion, you know, maybe closer to 30 by now, but it's went up about additional 10 trillion since Trump's been in office. So obviously as, as fiscally responsible as Republicans claim to be, y'all are really not that fiscally responsible because we've hit another 10 trillion in our national debt. Well, that trillion dollars tax cut in 2017 was going to pay for itself, you know, with the trickle down, you know, we had that trickle down that they were talking about 40 years ago with Reagan, you know, that never worked then, but was going to work under Trump. That trickle down. Tr that trillion dollars a year that was just lost in taxes. Yeah. The money that you claim that you were saving the corporations and they would reinvest into their employees, but they didn't, they just, gave themselves bigger bonuses yet that that trickle down yeah, yeah it's, it's important to remind ourselves that this whole crisis in the markets started in september 2019 before the first covid case came on where the overnight repo loan market which is essentially where the fed reserve provides zero percent interest loans to the major primary dealer banks of u.s dollar currency in the rest of the international financial system of the u.s dollar reserve currency suddenly spiked from 0% overnight to about 10% because there was some talk in the system that a bank in Japan or Germany or in the in Wall Street was about to explode. So like the JP Morgan, the Citibank, the you know, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, start, the, they started raising their overnight interest rates to make sure that they could you know help hedge against that liability. And so the Federal Reserve started pumping $100 billion overnight loans every day hundred billion every day. And these are 0% uh, over, a lot of them are overnight. Some are two week, some are four week, six week, some are longer. We haven't got a great, um, great understanding of that to the point though, where it, it's been over $9 trillion since last year, 9 trillion, just in the Federal Reserve. And this has nothing on the fiscal tax in tax out type thing. Um, that's, 
where we're at. And a two thousand dollar check uh, per month uh, is, you know, it's substantial. It's five hundred billion for every American. Um, not every American needs it, clearly, but um, a lot of Americans do. Most do, mm -hmm. I would say. And then it's not like we're living in a fucking bubble, you know. Like Europe, we're paying their business uh, businesses to keep their employers on, and the, the businesses just became pass throughs to the employees. And right. so it kept the business indemnified and whole because I, I do, you know, the left, the left side that, you know, talks shit about these small business owners being like, oh, they're complaining. No, people's livelihoods are being destroyed this year. Way. I mean, like 80% of restaurants in New York City, you know, is wiped out, gone. Okay. And that's that's just a microcosm for the rest of the country. And there's a lot of small businesses who've spent their entire life building their business and destroying it. And they do employ a lot of people. You could have, you can't shut them down and then not make them whole again. You know, you can't like, obviously there's going to be pushback to the shutdown if that's their livelihood. So it's just, it's, it's so inane, insane, illogical on so many different levels. Um, yeah. And it's $600. Come on, man. I mean, especially like you said, you, with the, with the businesses, you can't shut them down and not make them whole. And the way that there are, are holding this PPE, this PPP hostage for small businesses, all these small business loans. And, and they've only had, they've released it one time and they, they opened it up again, I think back in maybe August or September. And they just been sitting on it since and they haven't even released the second wave of money. But then you, you know, you have people like uh, Joe Osteen, the, the minister, who lives in this, I swear his house is his own zip code. Like it's huge, he has private jets, he has everything. Like why are we giving this man however many millions of dollars to, when he's already so well off anyway for his, you know, for his ministry? You know, I, I, I don't get that. But these are the business loans that they're, they're, the government is pushing. So it's like, okay, well shit on the mom and pop places, like you said, they use their whole livelihood that's worked all these years to keep and all these essential them. workers shit on all them too. People, yeah, yeah. Just shit on them because it's only about keeping the people that can grease our pockets that could do something for us in the long run, you know, keeping them afloat. And I, I guarantee you that they don't need that money to be afloat. All these millionaires and billionaires getting these loans for their businesses. They're not running giant corporations where they have a, you know, a payroll of thousands of people that in that case, I could probably understand like, all right, cause you, you can't pay, can, can't consistently pay everyone out of your own pockets for however long. Got it. But for, you know, this this person's consulting business or this person's whatever business with nobody on the payroll, really just themselves to get all this money from the government is crazy. Yeah. And you're creating enemies anyway, like <laughs> unnecessarily. So um, and I, I do want to reframe it. It's not a stimulus. It's a rescue package. Um buy needs to come in with a big stimulus coming up uh i know you're uh probably got some duties coming up too so we can keep on moving presidential pardons uh what you thinking on that one i think all that shit's illegal <laughs> honestly <laughs> you know you, you go through a whole uh you go through a whole whole trial whole case with like the Mueller investigation and you, you you see where all of these people he's connected the dots, all these people have done all these illegal things with all these wrong things <clears throat> during the course of that time. They've uh, went to court, they've been found guilty. We spent all the money, you know, all that money, taxpayer money on those trials just for it to turn around and be 
thrown out by the president because he was one of he was one of their boys, you know, because they didn't give him up. They didn't they didn't say things that was going against him. You know, they 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 held true. So he's gonna look out for them. I thought the slimiest uh, one was where he pretty much got his son-in-law's dad. You know, he hooked him up with a part and took all of his his federal stuff away for the stuff he was doing, all the financier and, and Governor all, Kushner. Yeah, all that illegal money that that he was pulling down. So I, I mean, honestly, I just think it, it's a real shady business to where these people are clearly and and even the stuff like with the Blackwater, the Blackwater personnel too, but they were over there even though they don't face, they're not supposed to face prosecution and they don't have to go by the Geneva Convention like the military, they can just kind of do their own thing. But they were over there just kind of mowing down, you know, women, children and, and everything else. I thought that was kind of messed up, you know, how they, they got their pardons too. So just the mere fact, like I said, that he's asking, he's inquiring, can he go ahead and pardon his family and pardon himself before he leaves office? when no federal charges have even been filed, nor have he been convicted yet. I find that pretty interesting as well. So I just I just think like in that aspect, all of that has been made a mockery of, and uh, we're looking at a bunch of things or people who got pardons that definitely didn't deserve it. And let, and let me reframe that. So Kushner's family is from New Jersey as well. Uh, and his father was a real estate guy who uh, did a lot of uh, illegal things that, Chris Christie, the governor, actually, before he was governor, prosecuted him, and then he got the pardon as well. Yeah. Um, I, I I look at these pardons, and I think going into 2021, um, you know, the current trajectory, according to law, would say that next week, the Senate runoff happens on Tuesday, I believe. Uh, and then Wednesday, the Congress um, reads off the Electoral College with Mike Pence sitting in... Uh, the full chamber and they say and and during that time tommy turbeville uh, the senate elect senator elect from alabama and josh Hawley from missouri and then uh, mo brooks i think some some schmo somewhere rep in this i don't know louisiana maybe uh they're all going to say we do not agree with these five states that put biden over right Mm -hmm. So it's going to go into this parla like parliamentary uh, procedure. And ultimately, the Democrats have the majority if they vote in one block in the House. Um, there's no way that this can go through. So on top of that, I've been reading a lot about the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, um, with uh, the New York City uh, District Attorney, uh, has been doing a lot of work on Trump's finances. Mm -hmm. So even if Trump gets pardoned, say Trump resigns the day before January 19th and Pence then pardons him, kind of like a, a Ford-Nixon deal, um, that doesn't apply to states. Right, but that's all federal level. Yep. Uh, so Southern District is going hard for them. So, I, I mean, I the criminal energy of Trump and the Republican Party, you know, everyone's generally wants to hope that it's over. But until Biden is in the office of the presidency, I still feel that this republic is in the greatest threat of my lifetime. And going back to the Nashville bombing and if Trump some and also Trump has called a lot of these right wing fascists to come to D.C. to protest next week on all week, maybe all the next three weeks. 
And um, if this gets out of hand, I mean, Trump's Hail Mary, if he can't do this legally, can't do it through the Electoral College, uh, can't do it through this other thing, he his last Hail Mary is going to be, um, how do I declare martial law? Mm-hmm. And martial law can be declared if there's an insurrection and if there's bombings and unrest, he's crazy enough to potentially uh, try to do the martial law. And I know you're, um, I've, I've, I've heard a lot about the military being very anti-Trump. However, he did just replace the new department, uh, DOD secretary of defense mm-hmm. uh, with this guy, special operations command uh, guy, Miller, who uh, replaced Esper. He has Cash Patel now, who's chief of staff, who was working with Devin Nunez, the Midnight Rider, who was like helping Trump during Russiagate uh, move from uh, Devin Nunez was the intelligence head in the House hearings. And he and Cash Patel was in the the White House and they were exchanging to try to change the uh, exchanging information to change the, the narrative. And you you have a couple other people of these high level moves in the Department of Defense, in the NSA, National Security Administration or agency. Um, I don't know if they have the balls to actually even attempt this, but there could potentially still be this criminal energy that, you know, when the grift becomes a coup, right? Because the grift has just been a fundraising thing for Trump. He's got three, four hundred million. But at a certain time, you know, you got Mike Flynn. He's all in. You know, Trump's coming back. I mean, this is still we're not out of the danger zone, unfortunately. And then we're in another danger zone once Biden comes in. But in this interregnum, I'm I'm still I got butterflies, you know. Yeah, I mean, it. Shit, damn if you do, damn if you don't. <laughs> That's where we are. We're just like stuck between a rock and a hard place, and. Hopefully one of those, one of those will crumble within the, the few upcoming months, but only time will tell. Whatever the case, the American people rejected Trump and Trumpism, and that has shown the world that, you know, if Biden can be sworn in, that we are able to remove uh, fascist-oriented individuals peacefully, mm-hmm. and the system is held, which is a, a great accomplishment for a system that's been around for 230 years with the antiquated system of an electoral college and those types of things. So 2021, man, what, uh, what are you hopeful beyond this, uh, month of January, I guess? Oh man, 2021. I'm just hoping for peace, blessings, prosperity for, and health for uh, my family, my friends, myself, um, and I just want everybody to win. You know, I, I think it's enough to go around. We've all kind of set, some people have set idly, some people have set, they've been in their labs, they've been creating, they've been reading, they've been developing. And I think it's just time to bring all of that to the world. So I'm just hoping that this next year, even though I, I don't suspect that it'll be back to normal, it'll be some sense of a, a different normal because this right now is our new normal. And our old normal was being out and about. So maybe it's somewhere like right in the middle. Uh, you know, we can get out there, be able to, you know, to kind of toast up and, and, and celebrate with one another and just start start feeding the world. And like I said, the world 
even though we've been all the way, the world has had time to heal. You're looking at places where, you know, it was mad polluted and, you know, ozone holes are closing up. Animals that people thought were extinct because they hadn't seen them for so, so many years are showing up again. Uh, the, the earth is healing and the earth needed, you know, needs its time. And unfortunately, us as a human race have been like a, a virus, you know, to, to earth. So she had to cleanse itself. And unfortunately, it, it happened with COVID, but I'm glad that it happened. And I'm just looking forward to everybody uh, coming out of this hibernation or, or this staycation, <laughs> this quarantine, and just making positive impacts on the world around me. Yeah, man. Solidarity. It's uh, all of us together. I personally want to make a call out to everyone to look at union history, look at labor history. You know, labor history is filled with struggle. It, it um, is filled with defeats. Yet somehow we still got that eight hour work week that was fought, you know, 1892. And we're, we're still like fighting for that eight hour work week and that those free weekends, free weekends that we, you know, earned. So organize your workplace, educate your family, and work with your community. Let's push Biden left harder than Wall Street is going to push him, harder than the austerity ghouls are going to push him, harder than the international factions are going to push him, harder than the right wing is going to push him. And let's have a 100-day agenda that uh, you know puts tens of millions of people back to work, rebuilds our infrastructure, and, and really focuses on what I like, um, FDR's, Franklin Delano Roosevelt's, um, Second bill, of uh, second bill of Rights, which is an economic bill of rights based on these four freedoms and where everyone has a, is given a job. If the private sector doesn't work, let the government deliver a civilian conservation corps job or a works progress administration job. You know, everyone gets a house, everyone gets health care, everyone's social security, um, you know, and it, it is about love, you know, love over fear. So. Yeah, oh, I agree 100%. Definitely with that. Cheers, man. Cheers. H Happy New Year, man. I'm so glad to know you, Jerry, you. and uh, to work with you in the new year and the struggle, man. Same here, brother. 2021. Amen. If you like what you hear, hit the like button, leave a review, and subscribe to hear future episodes. You can follow the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag PowerStrugglePodcast. And you can find us at EmpathyMediaLab.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Patreon at EmpathyMediaLab. Stay well, everyone, and educate yourself, organize, and mobilize to fight the power and create a brighter future.